0: Well hello Uh, my name is Penny and I am the pastor here at Christ the King Presbyterian Church and it is great to uh, be able to provide this uh, virtual service Uh, even while we are apart even while we are separated we are glad that we can come together in prayer we can come together around God's word we can sing even from our own homes and join our voices together and so we are thankful that we can provide this. And if you are maybe tuning in for the first time, uh, you are joining us in the, midst of a ser- in, in the midst of a sermon series in the Old Testament book of 1 Samuel. And today we're going to be looking at chapter 16, the first 13 verses of chapter 16. So if you have a Bible, I'd encourage you to have it open in front of you. If you don't have a Bible, the passage is going to be projected on the screen in front of you in just a moment. But the book of 1 Samuel is the book of the king. It tells the story of how the kingship came about in Israel. How Saul rose up to be the first king and and how David would be his following king, the following king after him. But really this book isn't just about the kingship in Israel. It's not about Saul. It's ultimately not about David either. What 1 Samuel is about is God. It's about his rule and his reign, his provision. And that's something that's very important for us to remember because whenever we are reading through any part of Scripture, it's easy for us to get our attentions focused upon the different characters or the strange things that happen or the questions that we might have and we can forget that really the Scripture is the story of God redeeming his people, of God rescuing us out of our sin, and drawing us to Himself. You see, at the heart of the Bible, at the heart of every part of the Bible is the Lord, His works, His ways, and His leading. And in First Samuel 16, we have nothing different than that. That is what we have. That Israel is transitioning from their first king to their second king, but but the one thing that continues, the one thing that is apparent. Is that God is the one who rules, that he sees the world and he sees man like no one else does. And so let's see how God sees this world. Let's read 1 Samuel chapter 16, beginning in verse 1. The Lord said to Samuel, How long will you grieve over Saul, since I have rejected him from being king over Israel? Fill your horn with oil and go. I will send you to Jesse, the Bethlehemite, for I have provided for myself a king among his sons. And Samuel said, How can I go? If Saul hears, he will kill me. And the Lord said, Take a heifer with you and say, I have come to sacrifice to the Lord. And invite Jesse to the sacrifice, and I will show you what you shall do. And you shall anoint for me him whom I declare to you. Samuel did what the Lord commanded and came to Bethlehem. Do not look on his appearance or on the height of his stature, because I have rejected him. For the Lord sees not as man sees. Man looks on the outward appearance, but the Lord looks on the heart. Then Jesse called Abinadab and made him pass before Samuel, and he said, Neither has the Lord chosen this one. Then Jesse made Shammah pass by, and he said, Neither has the Lord chosen this one. And Jesse made seven of his sons pass before Samuel. And Samuel said to Jesse, The Lord has not chosen these. Then Samuel said to Jesse, Are all your sons here? And he said, There remains yet the youngest. But behold, he is keeping the sheep. And Samuel said to Jesse, Send and get him, for we will not sit down till he comes here. And he sent and brought him in. Now he was ruddy and had beautiful eyes and was handsome. And the Lord said, Arise. Anoint him, for this is he. Then Samuel took the horn of oil and anointed him in the midst of his brothers. And the Spirit of the Lord rushed upon David from that day forward. And Samuel rose up and went to Ramah. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let me pray for us. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. And we ask that as we come to it, that you would open our eyes so that we would see as you see that you would soften our hearts so that we would know your truth, that you would unplug our ears so we would hear your word clearly, and we would follow you in all our ways. God, help us now, we pray, so that everything that we do in these next few moments honors you. We pray in Christ's name. Amen. Amen. Well, like everything else in our world right now, um, the baseball season has been put on pause. But uh, even though we don't have baseball to watch, even though we don't have Little League fields uh, filled with little boys and girls running around the bases, I know it's not hard for us to imagine what a baseball player looks like. You don't have to go to the field to see it. You know it in your mind, right? That regardless of whether you're at the Little League fields at Merriman or you're at Bush Stadium or the Salem Red Sox Stadium, you know what a baseball player is to look like. They all have similar things in common, right? You're going to see them wearing a jersey with their team name written across their chest. And they're going to be wearing their hats and and gloves and cleats. And every one of them are going to be in baseball pants, right? And it doesn't really matter what league you're looking at, what age group, where you are. This is what a baseball player looks like. We know this. And so you can imagine my surprise when the summer before my senior year of high school, my summer league team was playing in a week long tournament, and we we drew this team from Ohio that we were playing against. And so we show up at the field, and we start warming up down the left field line, and the other team arrives, and they're wearing their caps, and they're wearing their jerseys, and they have their cleats and their gloves, but instead of wearing baseball pants, they were wearing shorts. It was the strangest thing because baseball players don't wear shorts to play baseball and it wasn't just any kind of shorts It wasn't athletic shorts or basketball shorts. It were these spandex Cycling type shorts. They were skin tight white and they had rainbow pinstripes It was ridiculous. It was absurd I remember my teammates down the left field line warming up, and we're looking at this other team, and and we actually said aloud things like, has the circus come to town? Like, this is a joke. Who do these guys think they are? Do they realize what they are doing? We started making assumptions about the way that they would play. I mean, because obviously people who would show up to a baseball game dressed like this have no idea what it's going to take to play and not to play with us, especially to play with us. And so we assumed we'd be able to mop the field with them, that we would destroy them because they didn't look the part. And if they didn't look the part, then they surely couldn't play the game. You see, we had an expectation of what a real team would look like. We had an expectation about how they would carry themselves and how they would dress and how they would look. We had this expectation. And what we saw didn't meet our expectations. And Samuel's experiencing something similar in our passage. You see, in, in our passage, Samuel, Samuel has a similar experience, not with a ball team, not with pants not with funny shorts but but he has this expectation of what the king should look like you see in our passage samuel thinks that he can spot the next king of israel just by looking that he can see who this king is going to be and seeing or how we see is an important theme it is the important theme in this passage Like last week when we heard the repeated word or the repeated verb to hear, this week the repeated verb is to see. You see, the the root of the Hebrew verb to see shows up seven times in these 13 verses. And so it becomes very clear that what we see and how we see and what God sees is very, very important. So what does Samuel see? How is it that man sees? Will you remember the context of, of what, where we are in the book of 1 Samuel? Saul has sinned against the Lord, and because of his sin, his kingship has been rejected. Remember, he grabbed hold of Saul, Samuel's cloak, and it tore. And as it tore, Samuel said to Saul, As the cloak is torn, so too will the kingdom be torn from you. That God has rejected this line, this dynasty of kingship. And so Saul, excuse me, Samuel, begins our passage grieving over this. He's grieving over the sin of Saul. He's grieving because this king was supposed to lead Israel, but his leadership has been a complete failure. And so all that Samuel can see in the midst of Saul's failure is the void that it has left. And it's into this that God speaks in verse 1. He says to his prophet, How long will you grieve over Saul, since I have rejected him from being king over Israel? Fill your horn with oil and go. I will send you to Jesse the Bethelmite, for I have provided for myself a king among his sons. You hear what he's saying? Stop grieving over this failed king, because I have provided for myself a king. Now that phrase, I have provided for myself, it most literally can be translated, I have seen for myself. You see, Samuel sees grief, but the Lord, he sees something better. He sees a new king. And so Samuel gets up and he goes to Bethlehem. And he goes with the sacrifice so as not to arise suspicion. And he assures the people that he comes with peace, not with a word of of wrath. And he goes to Jesse's house looking for this king. So what's he going to look for? Well, what would you look for? If we were charged with picking the king, what would we look for? What qualities? What traits? Maybe someone who's strong because they have to lead the military into battle. Maybe someone with great stature, because when people look at them, we would want them to see, we would want them to look upon them with awe and reverence. Maybe someone who's good looking, right? I mean, these are the qualities maybe that we would look for, right? And it seems that that's what Samuel's thinking, because in verse 6, when he comes, and Eliab, the eldest of Jesse's sons, is brought before him, he thinks... This must be the Lord's anointed. He takes one look at the eldest, who's probably the tallest, who's probably the strongest of Jesse's sons, and he assumes this must be the king. Now, I want you to remember, if you've been with us for the the last number of weeks as we've been going through this book, I want you to remember how it is that Saul is described in 1 Samuel 9. Do you remember what we're told about him? says that he was a handsome young man. There was not a man among the people of Israel more handsome than he. From his shoulders upward, he was taller than any of the people. Saul was tall. He was handsome. He was probably strong. It sounds a lot like Eliab, doesn't it? I mean, physically, it it sounds like Eliab might be Saul 2.0. You would think that Samuel would have learned his lesson not to simply look for the tallest, to look for the strongest, to look for the most handsome. And yet, when he sees Eliab, he's ready to make him king. But God says, do not look on his appearance or on the height of his stature because I have rejected him. Now, in saying he's rejected him, he's not talking about Eliab's salvation or his eternal destiny. He's simply saying he has rejected him as being the king. You see, Samuel thought that he was seeing correctly. That he knew who the next king was going to be simply by looking at their outward appearance. But what he saw was not right. And friends, we're just like Samuel. We're just like Samuel. And it's here where I could very easily beat up on the manicured images that we see on social media, Facebook and Twitter and Instagram or whatever social media platform you're on. It would be easy to beat up on those things, but, but I don't need to do that because whether you are on social media with, or without it, we don't need social media to help us judge and assess and make determinations about people with what we see in a momentary glance right I mean we assess people a person by the clothes that they wear right by the car that they drive by the house that they live in by how well their children sit or don't sit in church right we look at people and we think they look pretty successful pretty put together they look educated and so they must be and the adverse is true, too, right? We, we look at someone who's disheveled or looks out of place, who looks like that team that I had to play that day, like they're a joke, and we think they must be. Right? I mean, this is what we do. But, y'all, that's seeing as man sees. That's judging a person's quality, their character, simply by their appearance. You know we do this even with religious people we do this with religion we look at people we maybe hear the words that they say we we look at the way that they're dressed or the way that they present themselves and we have this idea this expectation of what a good churchgoer or what a good religious person is going to look like but think about jesus's day I mean, who were the most religious? Who were the most pious? Who were the people who seemed to have it together when it came to spirituality? Well, it was the Pharisees, right? But do you remember what Jesus said about the Pharisees? He said that they were like whitewashed tombs, which outwardly appear beautiful, but within are full of dead people's bones and all uncleanness. God said to Samuel, do not look on his appearance or on the height of his stature because I have rejected him. For the Lord sees not as man sees. You see, God is inviting Samuel and he's inviting us to see in a different, to see in a better way, to see as God sees. And how does he see? What does God see? Look at verse 7 again. For the Lord sees not as man sees. Man looks on the outward appearance, but the Lord looks on the heart. The Lord looks on the heart. Now hearing this, Samuel knows Eliab is not going to be the king. And so he asked Jesse to bring the next son and then the next son, and the next son, and this happens with each of his seven sons. And with each one of them, Samuel hears the refrain from God, neither has the Lord chosen this one. He's seen them all, but he still hasn't seen the king. And so Samuel asks Jesse, is this it? Do you have any more boys? And Jesse responds, there remains yet the youngest, but behold, he's keeping the sheep. And that word, youngest, it could also mean smallest. You see, there's still one, but he's so inconsequential to Jesse that when the prophet arrives, he doesn't even call him in from the fields. He leaves him out tending the sheep. Right? One who isn't even given a name, who isn't called by name until the very last verse of our passage. He's only called the youngest, the smallest. You see, never in Jesse's wildest dreams would this youngest, this smallest of his sons be the one the prophet wants to see. And yet, when he arrives, God says, Arise, anoint him, for this is he. Now, David, he's described as ruddy, he's described as having beautiful eyes, as being handsome. His appearance is appealing, but that's not why God chose him. That is not what separated David from all of his other brothers or from Saul. No, what's different isn't what man can see, but what God can see, it is his heart. The Lord looks on the heart. In previous chapters, we're told that the king that would follow Saul will be a man after God's own heart. Now, that doesn't mean that he's going to be sinless because we know that's not the case with David. We know he has horrible moral failings. He commits adultery and he commits murder. No, it, it doesn't mean that he's going to be sinless. To be a man after God's own heart means something more akin to he has a heart that's submissive to God. He's after God's own heart. Now, contrast this with Saul. Saul. Saul was a king like all of the other nations. He was a king who had a heart like the nations. But David has a heart after God. And so David's anointed. And the spirit of the Lord rushes upon him and he's empowered to now act and to live and to lead as the king of Israel. The youngest, the smallest, the one they least expected. It's amazing, isn't it? And yet, y'all, this is just like God. This is what he does on page after page of the scriptures. God is constantly using and calling those that we would never expect him to call. He is constantly using those that the world sees as insignificant. He's constantly bringing those who are the smallest The youngest, the weakest, the ignored. He's using them to do his will. I mean, think about the different stories that we have in Scripture where we see that just even in 1 Samuel, in fact. It began with the story of Hannah. Hannah, this woman who was ignored in her house, who was treated poorly by another woman in her household, who was treated with insensitivity by her husband, and yet... God heard her, God called her, God saw her and gave her a son in Samuel. And later in redemptive history, we see who is it that is going to bear and to to parent the Lord Jesus. Mary and Joseph, right? Two no-name people from no-name town. Or or think about the people who followed Jesus, whom he associated with, whom he called after himself, fishermen and tax collectors and former prostitutes. People that the world had discarded. And when Paul talks to the Corinthians and he writes to them, what does he say about them? Not many of you were wise according to worldly standards. Not many were powerful. Not many were of noble birth. You see, according to how the world sees them, they weren't very much, but he goes on and says, but God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. This is what God is doing throughout the pages of scripture. This is what he is doing in calling David. He is taking the youngest, the smallest, the ignored, the forgotten, and he's calling them to himself. See, the Lord sees, not as man sees. So when you look upon the cross, and when you think upon Jesus, what do you think? What do you see? Maybe you see the, the death of a moral teacher. Maybe you see the death of an innocent man. And certainly he was moral, and certainly he was innocent, but there is so much more. Have you ever heard how the prophet Isaiah describes the Messiah Jesus? Looking forward to the Messiah to come, Isaiah says that this Messiah is one who had no form or majesty that we should look at him. And no beauty that we should desire him. He was despised and rejected by men. A man of sorrows and acquainted with grief, and as one from whom men hide their faces, he was despised and we esteemed him not. Did you hear that? The prophet Isaiah is describing the anointed king of the universe. The creator of heaven and earth. The one who would come and save his people. How does he describe him? As having no form or majesty that we should look on him. No beauty that we should desire him. He's describing him as one who would be ignored. Who would be passed by. And yet it is this one who descended from the line of the youngest of Jesse's sons, who would bore, bear our griefs, and who would be afflicted and pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities, and upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace, and with his wounds we are healed. You see, friends, there is so much more than meets the eye when it comes to David And in David's greater son Jesus. When we look at the cross, what we see is the king who would come in the line of David, the king who is after God's own heart, who would give himself for us. And so friends, we need to ask God, open our eyes. We need to ask God, let us see, not as man sees, Let us see, not as we would be inclined to see, but let us see as you see. Let us see as the Lord, our God, sees. Let's ask him to help us do that. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, we are in need of your aid. We need you to open our eyes and we need you to show us what is good and what is right and what is beautiful. Father, apart from you, we would, we, we would look upon those things that, are, uh, that may look appealing to our eyes and think that they are good and beautiful, but they lead to destruction or despair. Father, help us to see as you see, so that we would see Jesus, our King, Jesus, the Anointed One. We would see the beauty in his sacrifice and that we would trust in this one who has come after David, the anointed one, our king. Help us to see him clearly, we pray. In Christ's name, amen.